Ladies and gentlemen, I have hot off the press news from heaven right here. You hear it here first. I just found out that men get to heaven before women do. How do I know this? Because Revelation 8 verse 1 says, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. (laughs) I'm sorry. Good thing there are no women in the audience today or I'd be getting stabbed. This is the deep end. It's Wednesday, it's noon, and I'm still alive, and all the women have already left. Yeah, we couldn't even get an audience in today. They heard what was going on. Uh, Yeah, Silence in heaven for a half an hour. That's an old preacher joke I heard from somewhere else, so don't blame me. I think it's funny. (laughs) Hello, Chris McEwen, joining us again. Hello, Pastor Tim. Welcome to the Deep End Studio. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Snow has finally fallen on New England. It's been a took till mid-February, but we got it. Nice winter. I like these are my kind of winters. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we have some news to talk about today. Oh yeah. There's always some news. We always like to start off with some light stuff going on. Well, what do we have? Okay, so officially, and Boston has beat LA in something again. We are now the worst city as far as traffic. So we're the best city in terms of traffic. If you like traffic, if you like you gridlock live. traffic, come to Boston, Massachusetts. Right here. The best. You see? Mm-hmm. Hashtag winning. Right like they there. were saying uh, cities that didn't take into consideration cars. So Washington and um, Chicago and Boston were of the top three. And we won. Washington, Boston, Chicago, top three. Now, what do you mean? Take, what, I thought L.A. was bad. So when we were built, you know, that spokes wheel mentality. Oh, yes, right, yes. It was a horse and buggy. buggy. Yeah, and then cars, this whole new invention, and freeways and lines and streets. Or as they like to say, non-planned cities. Non-planned. That's what we are. And you always bring up, I was in L.A. I never thought traffic would be as bad as it was in L.A. Like, it would take me two hours to get a few miles down the road. And they're saying it's worse here now. So um, I'm not going to move anywhere close to Boston anytime soon. And I, I know we're in the you. suburbs here. It's not like we're right in the middle of the city. It's true. And it's uh, Wednesday at noon, like I said, is the Deep End Podcast. You're joined here by your host, Tim Hatch. And I'm so glad that you're joining us, whether you're online through Facebook, YouTube, or on SoundCloud, or, or your favorite podcast app. We're so glad that you joined us. Anything else to talk about in the news? Uh, we Well, it was the, the Grammys. Grammys. Keep getting lower as far as ratings go. Mm. It seems the more political they get, the less people watch. Mm. Well, is that why, or is it because people are cutting the cord and not having cable anymore? It could be that, but I I tend to think personally that people, you know, you go to the Grammys to be entertained and you go to Fox or CNN or whatever to get your news. But if you're muddying it up and I'm hearing my celebrities talk about what they believe... I think people are getting a little yeah. bit sick of that. What do you mean your celebrities? You have some? I have some that I like, some I don't like. You, <laughs> know, like, you know, I Which have some in are? my closet at home. My celebrities are <laughs> up on a shelf somewhere. So you have celebrities in the closet at home. I don't know. That doesn't sound <laughs> very, that sounds very just tenuous. Toys. No, no, no. <laughs> what I mean is we all have our favorite celebrities, people that we might um, want to be entertained Who are your by. favorites? Uh, Chris I- Pratt. You know, you like he's, but he might be my favorite for a I different like reason than what my point is. I mean, I don't necessarily want somebody to want to watch somebody because I agree with their politics or their religion, yeah. but yet they're good at their job. Well, I can appreciate Johnny Depp is good at his job. Oh, yeah, he's good. But I don't 
really agree with his politics, right? Chris Pratt was on uh, Stephen Colbert a couple of nights ago and talked about the fact yeah. that he did a 21 day Daniel fast. Oh wow! Only fruits and vegetables. Wow. And he says it helped his faith. His his church encouraged it out there in L.A. Yep. Very cool to hear that. Well, if you're going to talk about Chris Pratt, so he just got tweeted against uh, the other day by Ellen Page for accusing him of going right. to a homophobic church. Yeah, we're all homophobic. Yeah, we're, but <laughs> if you're a Christian church, apparently that's what you do. But he retweeted back actually uh, yesterday. Yeah. You know, defending how they stood by him during his divorce, and yeah. it's just a bunch of people. Everybody's I saw that. welcome. He said, in spite of the in spite of the church's teaching on divorce, right. which the church is not for divorce. He, he's a divorced man, right? And in spite of that, we he still comes and he finds acceptance as a a follower of Jesus who needs help, right? <laughs> just yeah. like the rest of us, and, and that's what anybody is. So now, Ellen Page is a, a Canadian, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, as far as I know, yep. she's a Canadian. So. One, yeah, one not positive thing about her, I guess, is she's Canadian. One positive thing. No, I'm not a fan what, of what do you Canadians. got against Canada? I don't know. My, God bless the Queen. I have an ex who is Canadian, <laughs> and my grandfather was Canadian, so that might be good. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can hear. I, I feel you. you know, know. I've, I've got yeah. anti Canadian roots. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian experiences. Okay. Well, we'll pray for that. Thank you. I yeah, need it because you know. I need a church that will accept me for my anti Canadian roots. <laughs> you might be Canadian phobic. Canadian phobic. <laughs> And that's not good either. Chris. No. <laughs> okay. Maybe we should move on. Yes. No more news. <laughs> it's, a, it's the deep end. We like to talk about things going on in the world, and we hope that you enjoy the time. And also comment below. Let us know where you're watching from or to the side if you're on YouTube. We'd love to know where you're watching from, what town or room in your house <laughs> or what model and year of car you're driving as you listen. No, no, no. Don't do that while you drive. But anyway... We go to a Ask Anything segment today, and again, Ask Anything on the podcast, and we've been getting some questions. I'm so excited about that because I love questions. 508-316-9333, 508-316-9333. If you have any questions, you can ask them anonymously anonymously by texting your question to 508-316-9333. So the question this week comes in saying, what does Scripture say about a soul whose life is taken before birth, as in the case with abortion? Do they join the legion of angels in heaven? Okay, well, let's talk about this because first off, let's just identify abortion here because sometimes people, not people, yeah, people, I'm sorry, there's a miscarriage. So it's not always just abortion, right? but there's a miscarriage. Uh, and is every soul that is conceived precious in the sight of the Lord? Absolutely. Does every uh, human life matter, whether it's pre-born or born? Absolutely. Now, does every life that dies in the womb go straight to heaven? I can't give you a verse of scripture that says that's the case. So, mm. you know, the, the one thing that I would say about scripture is this. You've got to remember that what God puts in scripture is helpful for our encouragement and so that we might have hope. Who's we? His people. Uh, so scripture is very limited in what it chooses to tell us. Right. You ever think about that? Like yeah. It really is. Like Scripture does not address if there's life on other planets. Sure. There's so many questions. <laughs> there might be life on other planets. Yeah. What do we, what, why, why are we not told this in the Bible? Because we don't need to know that. Right. We need to know Jesus, and we need to know how to put our hope in him and how to live righteously before the God who created us, and also how to treat our fellow man who are alive. Through anything, right? Through anything, right. And so... You know, I always think about like when you get to this point where you go to the Bible for like this religious answer book, you're treating the Bible wrongly because that's not what the Bible really is. And in, and the Bible, by the way, never makes the claim that it is. It's not, the Bible is not um, the uh, you know heavenly uh, what do you want to say dictionary of all that is eternal. Like you don't. It's not an encyclopedia. 
So you don't go to the Bible to say, geez, I wonder what this means. And then you go and you find it. Now, can you do that with some things? Yes. And you can do the things, you can do that with the things that God has determined through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the men he revealed these words to so that your life can have hope and meaning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not going to, like the Bible, I remember having a discussion about, with an atheist once about, well, why didn't God put more medicine stuff in the Bible? Well, first <laughs> off, he did. Stuff. It's just from like, you know, 3,000 years before Christ. Right. So there's, there are some um, medicinal things from the ancient world. In fact, even the dietary restrictions that right. God lays on the Israelites, they may have been dietary restrictions for their health and for yeah. their uh, for their well-being. In fact, there's a book that came out in the 1970s or 80s, I think. It was written by a uh, physician. This is, inter- isn't, this is interesting. It was written by a physician in the 1970s. The title of the book is called None of These Diseases. Uh, and it's quoting Leviticus where it's talking about all the cultic kind wow. of religious system, systemic laws for Israel only. And, right. and there's a verse in Scripture, I think it's Deuteronomy actually, that says, uh, if you do these things, if you faithfully obey the law of the Lord your God and all these um, regulations, none of these diseases will touch you, which have touched the nations who are before you. Right. Uh, so right there, God is saying, this is the healthy way to live. Yeah. Now, is it okay to eat the things that God said not to eat back in Leviticus 15 today? Yeah, we can eat shellfish today and right. not die. Bacon. But we don't know how much modern treatment of um, food has helped us and empowered us to enjoy seafood the way we do today, as opposed to how they may have eaten it in you know 1500 BC. Right. Without the modern accoutrements of you know food preparation. Yeah. Cook I don't it, know if you want to. Yeah. Right. Do you want to eat a lobster with a <laughs> you know 3500 year old recipe? <laughs> Take out of ocean, crack open, suck. <laughs> you, know, you know you don't want to do that with a lobster because you know you got we know now you got to boil it. You got to. And all that kind of stuff, and who sure. knows whatever else they got to do to make sure that the lobster is safe to eat. So, all that to say <laughs> about these children who die before birth, I, I would like to remind you that the scripture says that those who are saved, according to Ephesians 1 5 to 6, are saved from before the foundations of the earth. Right. So, God knows those who are His from before He says, Let there be light. And, and we say, well, I don't get that, Then What's the use of obeying God if he already knows? Wait, whoa, the use of obeying God is it will go well for you if you mm-hmm. obey God. And you don't even have to be a Christian for it to go well for you and do life God's way, uh, for you to do life God's way and it, and it to go well with you, <laughs> okay? So God knows those who are his from eternity to eternity. And so if there's children in, in the mother's wombs who are miscarried and the Lord knows that they're his, then they're going to go to heaven. And you say, uh, again, and then a lot of people, this probably, you know, bring up a lot of other questions, like, tangentially to this issue, which is, okay, so, uh, well, then what is salvation? Salvation is what? Based on what your response is, or based on this? Mm-hmm. Or based, salvation is of the Lord. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9 says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, when, when David sins and he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation, not my salvation, mm. your salvation. It's not my salvation. It's your salvation, God, that you have given to me as you have saw fit. And so there are two sides to the same door, friends. Yes, you open your life to Jesus Christ. And yes, Jesus opens the door for you to receive him. I mean, it's both and. Right. And we say that all the time in the church. It's not either or, it's both and. Yeah. So the kids in the womb that God knows that are his, uh, yeah, they go to heaven. They go to heaven immediately. Um, you know, the other thing that I think we should touch on here too is that in Psalm 51, David says, I was, I was brought forth, I was conceived in iniquity. 
Uh, there is no such thing as an innocent child in the womb. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no such thing as an innocent uh, being ever born, ever. Okay, this is why you do not have to teach children to be disobedient to their parents. They are just na- it just comes naturally. Right. It's part of the DNA. So we are all saved by grace. God absolutely, and we see this in the New Testament, makes a special provision for some people to receive grace with less than perfect circumstances. So like, for instance, the best, the best way to receive the gift of, the, of, of salvation is to hear the preaching of the word, repent of your sins, turn to Christ, receive him, receive the Holy Spirit, get baptized, join a church, and be engaged in that church until you die, right? Sure. And, and be engaged in that church to use your gifts and ministries for the benefit of other people mm. until you die. But that doesn't always happen. Yeah. For instance, the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross never has a chance to get baptized, never right. has a chance to join the church, never has a chance to receive the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says to him on that cross, today you will be with me in paradise. The same is true for, um, I, I believe, for, um, oh, it just went out of my head what I was just going to say. <laughs> The same is true for other extenuating circumstances where people do not have, you know, the opportunities that believers would have if they had, you know, extended life beyond just to hear the word of God. Sure. And and the Lord, I believe, oh, this is what I was going to say, Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle hated Jesus, and yet Jesus makes a special trip from heaven right. to say, no, you're going to follow me. Yeah. And he's like, who are you? He's like, you're going to follow me. Watch this. And so... You know, Paul never hears the preaching of the word. Paul hates Christianity. Paul hates Jesus and all this stuff. And yet Jesus says, nope, I'm saving you. You're mine. And, and even right now, we're hearing this about the Muslims in, in, in Muslim world, in the Muslim world where Christianity is um, outlawed or severely prohibited from expressing itself. We're hearing story after story after story of Muslim people who are actually having dreams of Jesus. Yeah, they're they're getting saved in their in their dreams. Yeah, and then they're waking up and they're realizing they trust in Christ. And now, if they tell their Muslim family and friends, they're dead. Mm-hmm. And so they have to kind of hide it and they have to like escape the country. This is happening all over the place. Yeah. which is tons a, of testimonies. Yeah, tons, tons of testimonies. But it's almost like Paul the Apostle moments again and again and again. Yeah. The Lord knows those who are His. It does not exempt anybody from moral responsibility. Like you have a responsibility to respond to what you know. And Jesus talks about this in Luke. He says, if you know a lot, you're, you know, you're required of a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you know little, you're required of very little. And so what you know, you got to act on it. If, you're, if you've heard the word of God, you got to act on that. you got to respond to that. So anyway, I think that answers that question. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I get that question all the time in a different way in the baptism class where they just asked, if you don't get baptized as a baby, do you go to heaven? I think what you just said, it all yeah. applies. Yeah, these, these are, these are um, again, these are <laughs> glossary questions, which yeah. the Bible is not a glossary. It's not an encyclopedia. The Bible is a story. I tell this to the, uh, to the leadership at our church all the time. The Bible is a story. It's meant to be a story, and it's a story about who? It's not a story about you. Mm. It's a story about Jesus. And so it's a story to introduce us to who Jesus is because Jesus is the Son of the living God who came to seek and save those who are lost, i.e., you and me. And when you read the Bible like that, you start to really, you know, receive what God wants for you to receive in the scriptures. Yeah. Anyway, I have a section that I like to talk to, uh, like to go to. I haven't gone here in a long time. We're going to go to the segment called Politicked. Okay, so this is back in the news. Uh, Representative, and I want to talk to you about this today, Chris. Representative Ilhan Omar. And by the way, I only bring these things, Omar, right? I only bring up uh, political issues when it's going to relate to what we're going to talk about in the text of Revelation or whatever book we're studying. And this definitely applies. And I'm going to tell you why in a few moments. But would you just uh, stay with us for a moment? Mm. Evidently, Representative... Ilan Omar, who is the first Somali Muslim woman elected to U.S. Congress, yep. 
has come under fire. Here's a picture of her. Uh, she has come under fire for tweets suggesting that lawmakers support Israel, the nation state of Israel, only for the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is after she has already supported multiple anti-Semitic views and those who hold them. Uh, she's, I guess she's chummy or buddy, buddy with some pretty bad anti-Semitic people. Sure. Yeah, anti-Semitic means anti-Jewish. Anti-Jewish, yeah. Yeah, anti-Jewish. Yeah. So in 2012, she tweeted, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. Hashtag Gaza, hashtag Palestine, hashtag Israel. <laughs> okay. And that's before she got elected. Yeah, that's wow. 2012. Wow. So she was just elected in, in November. And, and I, I was online look, doing a little research because I'm always like, how do people like this get elected? Yeah. Honest to goodness. Like, this is America for heaven's still, I mean. <laughs> and it's Minnesota. Like, who, who in Minnesota would, you know, elect a Muslim? They have a high Muslim yeah, population. That's what it is. Yeah. Evidently, in this district in Minnesota, yeah. a large population of Somalis moved there uh, a couple of decades ago. Sure. And so eventually, know. you know, that's what happens. That's called democracy at work. Yeah. You you elect the person that you like. That's and so true. she resonated with that group of people, and mm. and now she's in the U.S. Congress. And I just have to say that this is alarming to me. As mm. a, as a, not as much as because she's, definitely not because she's a woman, and definitely not because she's a Muslim, but because of the views that she holds. Yeah. The, the views that she holds, friends, are the problem. She's not personally a problem. It's the views. Yeah. And I think that people have got to start learning how to talk about these things without disrespecting each other. The views are dangerous. And, and you say, well, wh- why? What's, r- what's wrong about with, with a Muslim having a problem with Israel? Uh, because Israel are, is God's people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, have you, have you read the Bible? Because the Bible is pretty clear about this. God's got one family. Yeah. It's called Israel. One natural family. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would like to do something here in our politics segment. Okay. I'm going to do something that has, is long overdue. Chris, I'm getting scared. <laughs> no, don't get scared. It's actually, it's a positive thing. It's okay. a positive thing. We are part of the cool church movement, right? Okay. Yeah. What yeah. does that mean? Skinny jeans, leather jackets, guitars, smoke <laughs> machines, lights, I, I, everything Maddie beanies, does. Beanies. Beanie beanie, hats, beanie, yeah. Oh, beanies. Yeah. Oh, okay. Can we get a Throw shot of beanie the Oh, there it is. Okay. I thought I invented yeah. the beanie. <laughs> Okay. Now, in my definition of cool church, I wouldn't have led with skinny jeans, but you did. Yeah. Well, so skinny yeah. jeans and, and beanies, <laughs> electric guitars, well, light smoke, you know, cameras, the pastor who wears jeans on stage and mm. all that kind of stuff. Dresses. Cool hip, church. Hip. Yeah. Nice beard. No stained glass. No, no, no choir robes, although they're making a comeback. Nice. Nice beard. Trim, yep. shiny beard. Tattoos are Tattoos, plus. Tattoos, yeah. So that's cool church, right? And we are part of the cool church movement. The cool church movement is... Here's all, here's all the cool church movement is. It's a bunch of youth pastors <laughs> who in the 1990s wanted to attract, you know, unsaved kids to their youth ministry. So they put lights and smoke and all that kind of stuff in and they got their tattoos and they put on their jeans and they got up there and they taught these kids to make sure that the kids felt like they could come to church and feel like it wasn't boring. Mm-hmm. It wasn't invented in 1735, right? Well, those youth pastors eventually grew up to be pastor pastors like me, yours truly, right? Mm-hmm. So we brought just, we just brought cool church with us. To the adult segment mm. of the population. Thank and that's you. what we are. We're cool church. But we have some failings. Just like the predecessors of, just like our predecessors had some failings with, I would call it contemporary church. Like there was, it goes like this. Cool church now, before us was contemporary church, which is that's when they had drums and 
acoustic guitars on the stage. Mm-hmm. That was like contemporary church. And before that, it was traditional church, which was with choir robes and the hymnals and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And before mm-hmm. that, it was, you know, Gregorian chants or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what was before that. I wasn't born. Anyway, uh, Cool Church has predecessors who had some failings. But guess what, Cool Church? We got some failings too. And here's one that I think we have failed on big time. We have failed, us, pastors, me. I'm talking about me. So don't take offense to this. We have failed you, Cool Church members in failing to inform you properly about God's, God's uh, use and purpose for Israel. Ooh, yeah. We don't talk about Israel. I just realized it's I've true. never preached about Israel. Yeah. We need to start preaching about Israel because Israel is still God's family, Amen. natural yeah. family. Yeah. All right, there, there is an irrevocable promise that God makes to the father of Israel named Abraham mm. in Genesis chapter 12. I want to read it for you because it's so important that you have a proper political view around Israel. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord God said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, Israel. Abraham becomes Israel. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, verse 3, please listen. I will bless those who bless you. Yeah. And him who dishonors you, God says, I will curse. Mm. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I cannot I cannot overstate how important it is that we be on Israel's side as God's people. As God says it, yeah. Because this this problem, this promise does not get revoked right. ever, right? And so I, I I just wanted to like kind of make this clear because I think that we're missing this. Mm. God makes two promises to Abraham about his descendants, and it's very cool. So let's go to the whiteboard. The whiteboard. The whiteboard. <laughs> Okay, so in the Bible, in the first book of the Bible, it's called Genesis, right? God makes two significant promises concerning Abraham and his descendants. The first one is in Genesis chapter 13, and I put this one down here. Genesis chapter 13. Ooh, sorry about my handwriting. (laughs) This is bad. I type everything, so I never can write very clearly. And in Genesis chapter 13, God says, Your descendants shall be as numerous as... The sand, yeah. right? So I want you to think about Genesis 13 as a earthly promise. Mm. Well, uh, two chapters later in Genesis 15, and I'm putting it up here for a reason, because God says another promise about Abraham's descendants. And he says, your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Yeah, the stars of the heavens. Mm. Okay, so up here, heavenly promise of descendants. Down here, earthly promise of descendants. Dust of the earth, stars in the heavens. Now, we already know there's billions of stars. Well, there's billions of Christians, Mm -hmm. right? This is what you have to understand, is that this refers, this promise is not revoked ever about his earthly family, Israel, still alive and well today. In fact, I was in Israel last year at this time. And I'll never forget, one of the hosts of the Torah said this to me. He said, Israel is the only nation on the face of the planet where the people live in the same land, worship the same God, and speak the same language for the last 3,000 years. Wow. You think about that? That is crazy cool. Yeah, think about that. It's amazing. The promise has come true, right? You can't say that about almost any other people group, right? So we've got this promise still enacted today. But this promise came through how? Through Jesus. Because Jesus opens the door for the spiritual, the heavenly family of Abraham to come into the family. Now you say, well, what about this family? Some of them 
are joined with the heavenly family. And the heavenly family must love and support and pray for the earthly family. That's mm -hmm. scriptural. That's in the Psalms. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. Okay, so these are promises to God's heavenly people to be all about the prosperity and the protection of God's earthly people because they're still his people. Now, the thing about this is, is this the cross right here is how these two families come together. And you've got to remember this, Christian, that the Son of Heaven came to us through God's earthly family. People don't, people don't get this as Christians. Jesus was a Jew. <laughs> he was a Jewish man. And before he, ever won, before he ever intended to reach Gentiles, he intended to reach Jews. In fact, when he first sends out the disciples, he says, don't go to the Gentile cities. You just stay in the cities of Israel. And, this, and the movement of Jesus started with the Jews. They rejected him, and so the, it went out to the nations. And through the work of the cross and the Holy Spirit, it goes up and, and it creates a heavenly people. But you've got to remember this. Every Christian, this is why anti-Semitism is a plague mm -hmm. on the human race. And this is why, by the way, all the nations of the earth are divided on Israel. Every single nation is divided into Israel. It's the pro-Israel group and the anti-Israel group. And if you look at the pro-Israel group, you will see prosperity, freedom, mm. tolerance, diversity, more neighborliness, more plurality, like freedom of expression, freedom of, in almost every pro-Israel nation. Yeah. And then you look at all the anti-Israel nations. Go ahead and study it yourself, seriously. <laughs> Dictatorship. How you doing? <laughs> yeah. Dictatorship, loss of freedoms, religious intolerance, lack of diversity, uh, monolithic philosophies of life and how things should be, uh, the subjugation of women, the subjugation of children. You see over and over and over again, Israel is still the dividing line because God's promises are never revoked. Yeah. And so what you got to see this, I had this thought, just, this is pretty cool. What is Israel's sign. Does anybody know? The Star of David. Star of David. Look at the Star of David. It's like this. Yeah. Right? One points up, one points down. <laughs> Two triangles, right? This is this and and we were saved. You were saved. Christian, if you're a Christian, you were saved by a Jew. Yeah. <laughs> a Jew gave his life for you. And if that's the case, you cannot under any circumstances ever be anti-Semitic. No. You also can't be anti-Muslim, and you can't be anti-Hindu, and you can't be anti-anybody because you are a child of the Most High God, and your job as a child of the Most High God is to do two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, mm. and love your neighbor as you love yourself, and not ask first, well, are you not a Muslim? <laughs> because if you're not a Muslim, then I'll love you. No, 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 no. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love, and when Jesus asked, who is my neighbor? The guy says, the person that you hate the most is your neighbor, yeah. right? The Samaritan is, is the good Samaritan because he loves someone who he shouldn't have loved. But my greater point is that, cool church, we have got to do a better job uh, at telling young Christians to value, support, and love the nation of Israel mm. because they are still God's earthly people. And many of them are going to heaven with us. Mm. Many of them mm -hmm. are Christians. The fact that the Christian movement was a Jewish movement for the first 10 years. Anyway, yeah. that's the whiteboard moment. 
Um, so cool. I, I just share that with us because, you know, we've got to remember these promises. We've got to read the Bible, honestly. That's really what it comes yeah. down to. Uh, the, the younger generation is losing a lot of the good things from the previous generation, too. I, I found this on uh, 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 Christianity Today, this little article. What? Half of millennial Christians say it's wrong to evangelize. Okay, we're failing you again, yeah. younger generation, because it is not wrong to evangelize. Ever. It's <laughs> kind of the point. Go and tell people. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Yeah. Make disciples. If Jesus said it, it can't be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we're in a fog in some respects here because this, this is, might be one of the failings of cool church. Like we're so busy being cool. Oh, and we're so busy being like here for everybody that we don't want to offend anybody. And this is a problem, and it's, it's something that's got to change. Um, you have every biblical right to tell somebody about Jesus. Now, you do not have the right to be belligerent about it. Mm. You do not have the right to incessantly talk about Jesus when you should be working. Like, if you have a job, yeah. you know, Focus do your job. Yeah. Right? Do what, you're supposed, do what you're paid to do, but, and don't use your job as a pulpit. So... You've got a friend who's a Hindu, and you're thinking, well, I'm sure God will take care of them. I don't need to tell them. Yes, you do. Yeah. You absolutely do need to tell them, tell them about it. And, and you don't have to say, hey, you're going to hell. Don't say that. Say, come to church with me. Yeah. Hey, have you ever heard about Jesus? I mean, what do you believe? I think that well, that's one of the easiest ways to share your faith is sure. to ask somebody else, what do they believe? Yeah. And you say, well, what do you believe about heaven and hell and all that stuff? And then they'll tell you. They'll and ask guess you. what they'll say after they tell yeah. you what they believe? They'll all say, right. well, what do you what believe? Do you, what do you believe? And there you go. Well, here's <laughs> what I believe. Here's what I, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and he's the best thing ever and he changed my life and he could change yours too. And I would love you to come to church with me and find out. Right. Man, I, I'm just a little bit worried. That, and I think, and I'm not blaming younger Christians. I'm not. I'm blaming my generation because we have not done this. We've been too busy being cool to do what God actually says to do in some respects. And, you know, every generation, Chris, has their blind spots. Sure. Every generation has their cultural blind spots, their biblical blind spots. I think this is, these, are, these are two of ours. Uh, we, we've got to support Israel. We have mm. got to support the children of Abraham. You know, uh, just, just so you know, younger Christians too, because I know you like your cell phone, and I know you like um, Waze. And I love Waze. <laughs> and personally. I know you like laptop computers. Yeah. All three of those technologies... Developed by Jews. All right. All three. Praise <laughs> If you have a cell phone right now, cell phone technology was invented by Jewish people. Mm. So do you need any more proof that they're God's blessed. people? Blessed. <laughs> they're blessed. They're blessed. They are blessed. And um, uh, I, I, I found out this, that, you know, uh, when I was in Israel, they were talking about this. Uh, Intel, Google, mm. all the big companies, Hewlett Packard, I don't know if Hewlett Packard's a big company anymore. All the big companies... That are they're all set, they're all establishing uh, research and development centers in Israel really? right now. Why? Like, because the talent pool. Wow. The talent pool is enormous. Yeah. When I was in Israel, I was having lunch, and I sat with uh, a Jewish man and uh, just introduced myself. Hi, I'm Tim. I'm from America. I just wanted to introduce myself. Just sat with him, had lunch, and he was actually from Michigan, and he was moving to Israel because of the. Uh, 
the doctoral program that they had going on there for him to kind of do his thing there. And he got a job as a, as a doctor in Israel. And he's not alone. There are many American Jews that are moving back into the land of Israel wow. because of the opportunity, pro- the opportunity yeah. and the, d- the demand for high-capacity workers and movers and shakers. It's such a small it's section. Such, it's the size of New Jersey. And for you to say <laughs> every every nation takes a side, I mean, can you say that about any other nation? But it's such a small population and small size, like you said, the size of New Jersey. That's if God doesn't have a hand in it, then it makes zero sense. And they have and they have Muslims in their uh, government backyard. In their, no, in their government. Oh, okay. And they have Muslims in their military. Yeah. And they have atheists, and they have all. They are very right. open to all kinds, but they are a Jewish state, and it's yeah. like, you, you know, just do your research, do your own research if you don't believe me, please, because mm-hmm. you you gotta wake up to this, and you have to pray for and support them. Uh, and and uh, and thank God for the Jewish people. I thank God every day. And whenever I meet a Jew, I say thank you for Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> I do wow. because you know what? Your brother saved my soul. That's, a that's, way to that's the truth. That's just the reality. I was saved by a Jew. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your people. Anyway, all that to get to the Book of Revelation. Let's go. The Book of Revelation. Okay, Revelation chapter 8. We're going to talk about the incense, the angels, and the seven trumpets. And we're only going to get to four of the trumpets, so that's Revelation 8. Let's get to the incense. Before we get to the incense, I'm going to just do a little bit of a background, a little bit of a backup, I'm sorry, a little bit of a reminder where we are. Remember from two weeks ago we said the six seals described the gospel, the six seal judgments described the gospel coming into the world. The first rider, the first horseman of the apocalypse, comes out conquering and to conquer, and he conquers men's hearts. We said that is the gospel conquering men's hearts. And then what that inevitably does brings civil discourse and civil discord, and God, you know, the gospel divides. The gospel divides families. Jesus talked about this. The gospel divides nations. The gospel divides people groups. Uh, that brings a lot of economic upheaval, wars and famine and judgment of God upon, the, upon those who hurt God's people. But ultimately... Uh, in the last seal that we talked about, the sixth seal, it was the fall of the sun, moon, and stars, the fall of the political structures and the kingdoms of the earth as the message of Jesus makes impact into the nations of human history. Is that clear? Do you remember all that stuff? Yeah, I do. So the, the, the seven seal judgments have started to happen. And so the world is being evangelized, the gospel is going forward, and nations are getting angry and up and upheaval about it. Now, we have this up over here on the whiteboard because I want to show you. The first four horsemen uh, are, are those first four effects of the gospel, right? And then there's three more seals, and we're going to get to the last seal now. Uh, and then we're going to pick up this story, uh, what God is saying here in verse 1 of chapter 8. So here again from the opener. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, so this is the last seal finally, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And what does silence mean? Why was there silence in heaven? Now remember there's wars and famine and plagues and all this stuff happening. And, and also there's, uh, there's um, God's people are crying out for vengeance. Right. Remember this. Yeah. Well, I think in the fifth seal, they're saying, when are you going to avenge our deaths? Yeah. And he says, the angel says, a little while, in a little while. wait a little while. Well, now there's silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Well, what, what does that mean? And by the way, silence is very awkward. I mean, you never, you ever just sure. like wait and just silence? Let's like, try it right now. I don't know if we have time. <laughs> but you, know, like, you just wait in silence. It's very awkward, but it's also very solemn. Like silence is a solemn thing. And here's mm. what I thought about. In the Psalms, 
repeatedly, silence refers to waiting for God to bring about his justice for his people who are suffering. So Psalm 62 verse 1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Mm. Psalm 83 verse 1. Oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, oh God. In other words... What you do in silence is you wait for God to act on your behalf as you are suffering unjustly. Mm. And that's what I think is happening here. So those souls are waiting for retribution for their unjust suffering. Yeah. And right now is about to happen. And that means that judgment is coming upon the earth. So these seven trumpets are sounded by an a- by seven angels. But before we get to the seven trumpets, we have to look at something else that the scripture introduces us to in chapter in verses two to four. Look at this. Chapters two, uh, verses two to four in Revelation eight. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel, so this is the eighth angel, mm. came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints of the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Okay, what's up with this? Who is the another angel, verse 3? And what is with the incense and the prayers and the golden censer and the golden altar? Okay, I read through all four of the um, views of Revelation. Remember, there's four views, the preterist, pre-AD, 7D, historist, spiritualist, futurist. Futurist. All four agree who the angel is, which when you get that, you know it's pretty much... Do they all agree on anything? Yeah, yeah, a few things, but this is one of them, right? It's Jesus. They all say oh, it's Jesus. Okay. And what Jesus, because he's standing before the altar, he's got a golden censer, which refers to royalty and value. Yeah. And he's given the incense to offer with the prayers of the saints before God's throne. Hmm. And what this is a picture of, this is so cool. I love this. What it is a picture is, of is Jesus, our great high priest, is offering to God the purified prayers of his people who are crying out to God for justice as they suffer for him in the world. This is so cool. you got to see this picture because what this is going to do, it is going to encourage your heart, Christian, to stand strong when you see injustice in your life or in the lives of others who are following Jesus and they keep suffering. Mm. The world will not be happy with us. Jesus told us that again and again and again. They're going to drag you to court. They're going to put you in jail. They're going to persecute you. They're going to kill you. They're going to think they're offering God a service by killing you. Okay, this is going to happen to Christians the world over until Jesus comes. And when that happens, inevitably, Christians are going to cry out to God for justice. I mean, who wouldn't? Of course. You see your Christian friend get killed because they're Christian. You're going to be like, God, where are you? Mm -hmm. Right? Well, those prayers go up to God. Now, here's what you have to remember about your prayers and my prayers. This is true for me as much as it is for you. Our prayers are always tainted with our own selfish motives. Yeah. Always. Our prayers, therefore, need to be purified. Yeah. Incense is a picture of the purification of our worship and our approach to God. It happens in the Old Testament with the incense being offered continually before the altar when in the, in the, temp- in the tabernacle and later in the temple. And it happens here in Revelation. Remember, Revelation has this big picture of the temple. The heavens of God become the temple, right? And so <clears throat> in the Old Testament, the incense that Aaron and the priests were supposed to make was supposed to be equal parts. This is cool. Equal parts of several different spices. Equal parts of several different spices. Mm-hmm. And they were supposed to represent, I think this, what they represent for us in the New Testament is our prayers. And you think about our prayers need to be equal parts of several different ingredients. Okay. What are those ingredients? 
Well, Jesus gave them those, gave us those ingredients in Matthew chapter six. This then is wow. how you should pray. Yeah. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Worship, hallowed be your name. Worship. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Submission. Mm. Agreement with heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Supplication. Forgive us of our sins. Repentance. Confession. Confession. Right? Uh, lead us not into evil. Repentance. Repent. Deliver us from the evil one. Spiritual warfare. Mm. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Worship again. Praise, yeah. Okay, so what we have there in that, in that prayer, listen, I can't, I can't overstate this, is make sure when you pray that you don't just let your heart guide you. Seriously, yeah. this is how we fall into ruts in prayer because we only pray for one specific thing, or we go to God only, or we, or we go to God only when we want help with money, help with this, help with that, help with this, help with that, uh, you know, whatever. And we only pray one ingredient. No, That's the good. incense of the Old Testament had several ingredients of equal parts. Mm. Equal parts. Your prayers have got to have some ingredients of equal parts. Mm. So when Jesus says this then is how you should pray, he does not say this then is what you should say. Meaning, you don't just repeat the Lord's Prayer blindly and mindlessly. You know, you pray along the lines of that prayer. Enter into prayer with worship. I tell you this as God's honest truth that when I go to prayer and I don't start with worship, my prayer life is boring and yeah and lifeless. But when I enter into worship and I first just celebrate God and I say, hallowed be your name. I'm here for you. I want to worship you. And then I get into, you know, supplication and then I get into confession and then I get into repentance. Mm. Equal parts. Make sure you're doing that because it will enliven your prayer life. All of our prayers, as much as we think they're pure, they are not truly pure. Sure. All of your prayers are not as pure as you think they are. And you need good news is you need. Well, the, the bad news is you need your prayers purified with pure motives. The bad news is you can't do that because you don't even know what your impure motives are sometimes. Mm -hmm. The good news is there's a high priest in heaven who is purifying your prayers. Yeah. Ah. yeah. This is the beauty of Revelation 8. Here's what's happening. The angel, Jesus, is taking the prayers of the saints and then he's mixing the incense in together with it and he's presenting purified prayers to the Father. Mm -hmm. So when we pray, God, we need this. God, help us. God, here's what the heavenly, here's what the heavenly high priest is doing. He's saying, okay, let me... Let me mix this up with the right stuff because I also stand before the Father on behalf of my people on earth and I will give them to the Father. And guess what? The Father will respond. And now we have the seven trumpet judgments. And I think, again, throughout history, throughout the church's life on earth, this is what Revelation is imploring us to do. Revelation is imploring us to be people of prayer because when we pray... Our great high priest takes our prayers and purifies them before the Father. And then the Father answers, not based on our goodness and righteousness, but on the righteousness and goodness of his son, Jesus Christ, yeah. and the perfect prayers that his son offers through the incense offering. And it comes down to earth. And this is why sometimes your prayers do not get answered the way you want them to get answered. Right. This is why. This is why you will pray something and then it will happen, but you, it won't happen the way that you want it to. Well, what happened? Because Jesus actually re-engineered the prayer to be more aligned with God's will for you. <laughs> he fixed it for you. Yeah. yeah. He's fixing your prayers. And so, you know, this is why the scriptures tell us, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks. 
Yeah, I, I didn't get the I didn't get the job I wanted. I got this other job. Yeah, because when Jesus got mm. that prayer in heaven, he said, "Oh, nope, that one's filled with selfish motives, selfish intentions, greed, lust, impurity, all these." Things. Okay, I'm gonna mm. no, no, no. We're not gonna give me that job. We're gonna give him this job, and poof, then the job comes down. Oh, it's, mm-hmm. well, it's not the job I wanted, but man, you know what? It turned out to be the better job. Yeah, we That's hear right. those things all the time too. Yeah, because it's the great high priest. Yeah. Hallelujah! He's up in heaven, making sure that your prayers are purified. Amen. Now, in the book of Revelation. Here's, remember, Revelation is helping us see the world the way God wants us to see it, not just to look at the world and see it the way we see it. Mm. So when we see suffering, when we see injustice, when we see the church being persecuted and, 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 and shunned and hated by the system of this world, we are being implored, we are being invited by the book of Revelation. Keep praying. Pray. Even if you don't know how to pray, pray. Even if your prayers are impure, Pray. Because your great high priest is up in heaven. And he's and, and look, verse 5. The angel took the censer, filled it. Look what happens. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Your, your prayers go up to heaven impure. They get purified in the heavenly throne room before the throne of God by Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And then those prayers come down in results on earth, and they shake the earth. They shake the earth. They mm. change the reality. That I just think that's so cool. It is. That you should be motivated to pray now. If you're not motivated to pray, I don't know what to say. Because, you know, your prayers change things, and your prayers do not have to be perfect because your high priest will perfect your prayers. Yeah. So that brings me to the trumpets. What are the trumpets all about? Well, the trumpets in the Old Testament are used to signify a few things. Coronation of a king. Uh, it's also used to refer to triumph of an, of, a, of, a, of an army, God's army. And it also is used to call God's people to a solemn day of remembrance. Those three things. So remembrance, triumph, and coronation. So the trumpets are a reminder to the church that though it doesn't look like at this time you are winning and you are triumphing, you are triumphing. Tri- triumphing. 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 Whatever that word is, say it. You are triumphant. Thank you, Michael. There you go. <clears throat> and coronation. The king is still the king. Jesus is still king. The trumpet judgment is then upon the earth. Now, uh, let's go back to the whiteboard here. And on the whiteboard we see there are, four, remember, there are four horsemen and the four seals. So the first four seals align with those four horsemen. And then there's three more seals that kind of like unpack the results of the four horsemen. Well, likewise, in the trumpets, there are the first four trumpet judgments. And these judgments are judgments upon the earth naturally. Four, remember, is the number of earth. So these are kind of like natural occurrences that happen on the earth. And then there's three more trumpet judgments, which are more intense and more, I would say, supernatural. Okay, so. Let's take a look at the seven trumpets. Uh, number one, the first angel, verse seven. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail, fire, f- hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the seas burned up. Uh, I'm sorry, a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So, what is this? Well, the historicist, can the, the four views again. The historicist sees this as the invasion of Rome by the Goths. Uh, this happened in four. 60-something A.D., uh, and then uh, Rome at that time covered a third of the earth, and so the idea that a third of the, um, what does it say, a third of the earth was burned up is talking about Rome. Uh, and then <clears throat> the green grass and the trees uh, refers to the prosperity of Rome. That was burned up as Rome was conquered. The preterist, uh, which is the pre-A.D. 70 people, again, 
the, the judgment of God is all upon Israel in AD 70. So this is the city of Jerusalem getting burned up. And by the way, the Romans in AD 70 came into the city and did set the city on fire. Mm. They did. And the green grass and trees refer to Israel because Israel in the Old Testament is constantly referred to as God's tree. And the grass is a symbol of the prosperity of God's people. So, uh, or it also could refer to the foliage that the Romans actually did cut down physically sure. when they conquered the city. They came in, they cut the trees down, they burned the, the fields, all that kind of stuff. So this could be Burn a very literal translation, a very literal interpretation of what happened in AD 70. Mm. The futurists, these are the people who believe in the last seven years. All the revelation is about the last seven years. Well, of course, they believe that this is actually just hail and fire coming from the heavens mixed with blood because it burns up and it looks like blood, right? Uh, at the atmosphere, burns up, and then it's thrown into the earth, and then literally a third of the earth burns up, a third of the trees burn up, and the green grass burn, burns up. And so this is the great tribulation. This is the tribulation destroying the earth physically. Now, the spiritualist, that last view, the fourth view, uh, regular occurrence, that's what they see as regular occurrence whereby God brings judgment upon the earth in response to the prayers of the saints mm. who cry out to him for justice against the adversaries who are unjustly persecuting them. So, yeah. questions? Thoughts? Uh, no. no. Okay, no. good, because only one trumpet going. down. Number two trumpet, <laughs> verse 8. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Okay. Very, very uh, actually, very cool interpretation of your historicist, the, the great mountain, and mountains in the scripture always refer to kingdoms of earth. <clears throat> so the great mountain actually refers to the vandals, and they came in and they, con they attacked Rome, and they were seafaring people. That's why it says it was thrown, burning with fire into the sea. They were seafaring people. What they did was they actually began to conquer Rome by destroying their ships in yeah. sea, at sea, and then slowly but surely they decimated the Roman navy, and then they just went into the city and conquered it. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of historical writings about how many people died at sea because of the vandals when the Romans were getting killed by the vandals. Uh, there were so many people dying at sea that the sea was literally turned to blood. Yeah. So there you go. The sea became blood, right? The preterist sees the symbol of the mountain as, um, uh, obviously, the government of God in Jerusalem. So, again, the mountain is a government or kingdom. The kingdom here refers to the Israel kingdom uh, in Jerusalem. And the sea, in, <clears throat> in Jewish thought, actually, in the Old Testament thought, refers to two things, the Gentile nations or Hades. Now, in the Jewish mindset, the Gentile nations are the same as Hades mm. because they don't belong to God. And so what's happening here is the Romans come in, they burn the, the mountain of, that refers to God's kingdom of Jerusalem, and they cast them amongst the nations of the earth, and that's exactly what happens in AD 70. The Jewish people who survive disperse throughout the world, and they don't come back for several centuries later. Mm. Okay, uh, Remember that Jesus said, too, by the way, in Matthew 21, 21, now think about this interpretation, because Matthew 21, 21 says, Jesus says, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the mm. sea, and it will be done with for you. And he was saying that this will happen in response to your prayers. Right. So what is happening here is the preterist actually has a pretty strong point. This is the nation of Israel being cast into the sea mm. because they refuse to receive Jesus, who died for their sins. And so that's the picture of the preterist. Uh, Josephus, a, a Jewish historian, actually talked about this after it happened. He described the battle in which the Romans pursued many Galilean Jews into the Sea of, the, of Tiberias and slaughtered them there. And the Sea of Galilee 
not Tiberius, same sea, same sea, two different names, but the Sea of Galilee. They killed them at the Sea of Galilee, and the sea became red. The futurist, third view, sees literal interpretation. Again, mountain, let me just ask you, Chris, a great mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea. What do you think? A volcano. Oh, wait, a great mountain burned with fire. Cast into the sea. Cast into the sea. I'm drawing a blank, so. Meteor. Oh, meteor. Yeah, yeah. great mountain. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tried to feed that one to him, but he got it. Volcano, volcano. Meteor. Yeah, meteor. meteor. There you go. Wow. wow. Good one, Chris. Woo. Okay. And then also, think about this. What else can we drop into the sea right now and actually blow things up? A bomb. An H-bomb, right? Yeah. Atomic bomb. Got that one. Yeah, there you go. All right? So that's what the futurist sees. And during the tribulation, wars are going to break out, and so there's going to be an atomic bomb at some point, and this is just exactly what it says on the page. Yeah. Literal interpretation. And then the spiritualist, again, considers this judgment from God upon the nations for the persecution of his saints. Uh, on and on and again. Let's go to the third trumpet, because we're going to get to a point at the end of this. I want to just get through these really quickly. Mm. Uh, verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star... Notice that great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and mm. it fell on a third of the rivers and, a thir- and, and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Mm. So, rivers and waters, the historicist sees this as a reference to, and this is pretty cool, uh, the Huns. Now, when you think of the Huns, what's the first name that comes to mind? Attila. There you go. Thank you. Attila the Hun, who mustered an army of 800,000 soldiers and very quickly invaded Rome. And it came on them so quickly, it was like, they they described it like a star falling from heaven, blazing like a torch. Oh, wow. And so some estimate that the Huns uh, came into Rome and slaughtered 300,000 Romans. And then they actually um, threw them into the rivers in the Italian Alps. Wow. So this is actually historically accurate, and so the historian, the, the historist has a has a point here with this view of of the uh, of the third angel, the preterist again. Guess what it is? It is the Jews being slaughtered for rejecting Christ in AD seventy, and the Romans come in and they decimate the people of God. And um, by the way, <clears throat> let me just uh, bear in here, bear down a little bit here because wormwood is a, is a is a biblical term in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Wormwood was actually a tree uh, with a very pungent smell and a bitter taste. And they would actually make tea out of this, I guess. Okay, in sounds the old, in appetizing. The old, yeah, in the old world. Uh, and it was a figurative tree. It was used figuratively of bitterness and sorrow. Uh, it's not poisonous, but it was often linked with uh, sorrow because of how it tasted. Now, in Deuteronomy 29, God says that idolatry, the idolatry of his people will lead to wormwood or bitterness. Hmm. Uh, in Proverbs, the loose woman is portrayed as a deceiver whose lips drip honey, but who in reality is bitter as wormwood. Um, and so what you have to see here, too, is what God is saying to his people in A.D. 70, if you take the preterist view, is that the Jews... His people are actually experiencing the same judgment God delivered to Egypt upon them for disregarding his son. And this is that he warns them about this in Deuteronomy 28, 59. He says this. The Lord your God will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sickness and grievous, and sickness is grievous and lasting. And He will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt, wow. of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. What happened to Egypt? God struck the Nile. What is the Nile? A river. Mm-hmm. 
And God says, if you walk away from me, I'm going to treat you the way I treated the Egyptians. And so the wormwood actually turns the rivers, the bitterness of idolatry turns the rivers bitter for God's people. I don't know. I just thought that was pretty cool. It's pretty cool. The futurists, again, uh, actually, no, here, this futurist is split. Some take it as a symbolic thing uh, that uh, the great star is um, the great star is the Antichrist. Yeah. He comes blazing in like a torch. Uh, and then he starts to turn the rivers and the waters bitter, and the rivers and the waters ter- uh, refer to the streams of Christianity that he deceives the Christians who are on this earth mm. who are remaining. He deceives them and actually turns them bitter through idolatry and by getting them to align with him. Oh, wow. So symbolic. And some take it as uh, a... Uh, this is going to hurt for some Christians. Uh, <laughs> Some some Christians, not this one, uh, believes that it is a future pope who will lead the Catholic Church into apostasy. Oh, every pope that comes up, they say, yeah. it's the, that's the one. That's the one. That's the one. I've heard those things, too. Hey, you know? I see the video pop up every time a new pope comes. <laughs> yep. I'm sure you do over there on YouTube. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I used to come out <laughs> of the conspiracy Illuminati uh, conspiracy <laughs> school of yeah. thought. Thank God. Since I've Jesus been saved, saved, though. I'm saved now. All right, anyway, so that's what some people believe. And then the spiritualist believes that this is the poisoning of the church through idolatry throughout human history. Whenever whenever the church falls into the trap of idolatry, whether that's individually or corporately in a, in a church body, it turns that church bitter. It turns that church into wormwood. Yeah. All right, the last one we're going to talk about today. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, verse 10, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars... Uh, this actually is verse 12, I think. A third of the stars. So that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining. Likewise, a third of the night. Okay, so listen, um, these are heavenly bodies. And how do you interpret the heavenly bodies? Well, the historicist says this is the end of the Roman Empire. The sun, moon, and stars represent the power structures, the political firmament of Rome. And the conquest of Rome happens in uh, AD 476. Uh, the disillusion of the Republic, the disillusion of the empire is all gone in 476 AD. Uh, and that's exactly what happens here in Rome in Revelation chapter 8. The preterist sees the sun, moon, and stars as the political structures of Israel, such as Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, Herod Agrippa, the high priest of Israel, the leadership structure of the Sanhedrin, if you will. They are cast down, and that's the end in AD 70 of national Israel uh, until uh, 1948. The futurist... Uh, sees a symbolic, uh, uh, this is um, d- one of two ways the futurist takes this. Symbolically, number one, being that there was de- uh, during the tribulation, there will, be, there will be diminished spiritual light mm. during the tribulation. So a third of the sun's dark, a third of the moon's dark, a third of the night's dark, whatever that means. Uh, or the literal translation is that the days are shortened and there's, no, there's not as much sun and there's not as much moon and there's mm. not as much stars. Depressing. Yeah, pretty depressing futurist people. Uh, spiritualist says this is a split between symbolic vision of the godless being judged, the power structures being removed so that the church may flourish. Some see natural disasters that actually happened throughout history, such as uh, Mount Vesuvius and mm. Pompeii and other places Ooh, where... volcanoes. Yeah, volcanoes. There you go. Now you got it. <laughs> so now I got where it. volcanoes exploded and did actually create darkness over the earth. Yeah. And it happens regularly and throughout human history, and they see it as a sign of God's intervening in judgment upon the nations for rejecting uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Pompeii, if you've ever done any kind of research into Pompeii, these people were pagans to the nth degree. Uh, did you see the movie? I saw it a few No, I never ago. saw the movie. Yeah, but there's it's a lot of paganism going yeah, on. Bad stuff going on in Pompeii. Yeah, and, you, wow. know, you, you say, well, maybe God did judge them through the uh, volcanic eruption. Could have. 
So let's go to verse 13. Then I looked <clears throat> and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Some people see this eagle as Rome because the symbol of Rome was an eagle. Right. By the way, the symbol of America, eagle. also an eagle. These national powers that think they're above everything, that think they have, you know, immutable sovereignty over the world, mm. such as our king, such as our nation right now. Uh, no, you don't. You are subject to the hand and mercy of Almighty God. Mm. Uh, and so this is all pointing to the fact that God intervenes throughout human history. But why and how? Because his people pray. Yeah. Because his people pray. God will hear your prayers, Christian. If you are suffering injustice, maybe even on a micro level, and even a micro level, like your boss just picks on you because you're a Christian. Well, you need to pray. You need to pray. Now, your prayer is going to be tainted with your own selfish motives and your own maybe a little bit of an animosity about your boss. You know, mm -hmm. maybe you just you pray that his, you know, his wheel falls off on the way to work or whatever. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's a selfish prayer. Well, good news is it goes up and Jesus says, OK, we're not going to take the wheel off, but here's what we're going to do. <laughs> you know, we're going to change some things about his marriage so that he has a crisis and he comes to you and he says, hey, you go to church. Do you have any answers? Right. Yeah. Something like that might happen, but that's 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 what I'm saying. Is the the point of this episode of the deep end is to get you to pray. Like that's my hope. Mm. I hope that you leave this deep end podcast and you say, I need, I need to pray about these things instead of cursing the darkness, instead of just cursing your life, Christian. Pray and pray right with all those five ingredients, those ingredients. that you gave. I mean, well, I didn't give them. Jesus gave. Well, them. Jesus gave, but I. I feel like you could do a whole sermon you could, on those yeah, five but, ingredients. Yeah, make sure you're mixing it up in your yeah. prayer life and you're not just winging it. I just know for myself that when I wing it, it does not it does not go well. I fall into the prayer rut of the things that I always want to pray for. Sure. Whereas if I do the outline, if I just think about the Lord's Prayer and I say, okay, now let me pray along this, let me pray along that, pray along this. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm moving through a progression. And I'm, I'm sending up sweet incense offering uh, to the throne room of heaven. So final, th final thoughts. Number one. The world and her kingdoms will experience constant turmoil. This has happened since before Jesus was on the earth. Happens, this has been happening since Cain and Abel uh, were at odds with each other. Number two, final thought is this. Prayers are important and powerful tools of that upheaval. Mm. We have to remember that. The kingdom of heaven will cause economic and civil disruption. It just will. We don't want it to, but it does. Because when you challenge people's hearts to trust in God and not money, economies are changed. Mm. Uh, alliances, allegiances are changed. This is why dictators, this is why dictators always want the Bible out. We don't want the Bible. Nope. Don't want the Bible in North Korea. We don't want the we don't want the Bible in India. We don't want the Bible in in uh, in uh, in uh, communist China. Why not? Because the dictators know if you get a hold of that book, it sets people free yeah. from their tyranny. So prayer is important. And then number three, final thought is this. God's kingdom moves forward through the prayers of his people. Pray, friend, pray, because God will hear you. Your high priest will intercede for you and perfect your prayers and answer your prayers. And you will see heaven start to invade your earth as you offer prayers to your Father in heaven. Mm. Sound good? I think that sounds good. That sounds great to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, Let's go pray. Hey, why don't you check us out on Facebook.com slash The Deep End TV or YouTube.com slash Waters Church. Search The Deep End channel or go to TheDeepEnd.tv. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. I can't, I can't stress it enough. Like and subscribe. Because if you like, 
we get to do more things on social media for your good and for your benefit. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope to see you back again next week. My name is Tim. His name is Chris. This was The Deep End. <laughs>